Here's a place where all of us can be safe. Our stories of transformation can be safe, and all the things we want to research are safe here. This is Safe Space with Cheyenne. I'm really excited you're here, and I hope you stick around for a while, because I've got a lot to show you before I leave Earth. I love you guys. All right, my friends, how are we all doing today? I have a fellow podcasting friend that I found on a fellow podcasting group. And, well, I'm really excited for this episode. I'm usually excited for every episode because this is what I love doing. But I have Cody Ramala on today. He is the host of MindShift Podcast. And just our off-the-record conversations, I wish that we could have recorded and just snipped up because we had so much in common between, like, books that we love to read, healing modalities that we've dived into, and even the way that we love to present content out into the world. So Cody is coming on today to not only talk about his personal journey, but we get to dive into like QHHT and hypnosis, and we're even going to throw crystals in there because I just found out you have quite the Labradorite pieces before we hit play. So Cody, 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 thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Shan. I'm so excited to be here. This will be a fun conversation. If it's anything like the first time we met, you know, it could be one of those really long conversations we talked about all those other hosts having as well. We're going to look down <laughs> and we'll be like, two and a half hours of QHHT. That's crazy. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so where do I even start? Should we start with like you introducing what you do on your podcast and then you can kind of tell how you got started on your journey? Sure. So, so MindShift is really a, a platform for me to share all the fun, incredible information that I've been learning through the years. And it's, it's really about mindsets and dissecting the mindsets of the most extraordinary people on the planet and how they got to be where they're at. And it's just because it's the most incredible asset that we have, you know, and I found this out because my own mindset was horrible. Like it was in this, this pretty terrible place for a while. And, uh, and it's really where my journey began. So my journey began, I'd say five and a half years ago. I mean, really it started way before that, but that's when I really started focusing on my health and my health journey specifically. And at that time I had just gotten out of a pretty bad marriage, pretty bad relationship. It was, it was pretty abusive and I was obese at 340 pounds. I had rosacea, diabetes, leaky gut syndrome, and I was just a mess, like truly. And I was uh, really sick of where I was at. And one day after I was in a longboarding accident, I hit a rock and all 340 pounds of me came down straight on both my elbows. And I couldn't like straighten my arms or I couldn't bend them. Like, I couldn't even like feed myself because it was so painful. And so as I was sitting there healing, I was watching some, some YouTube videos and there was a gentleman that was talking about how he meditated every day for three years. And after he started meditating for three years, everything in his life changed. And so I was like, well, you know, let's, let's start there. Let's try that. Let's see what happens. So like right then and there, and this was, you know, five and a half years ago, I was like, I'm going to start meditating every day and see what happens. And everything started changing. I knew if I got my mind right and started understanding how to calm my active mind, my overactive mind, really, then everything else that I was going to be doing would be so much easier because I already have my mind right. And in five and a half years, 
everything changed. You know, I lost 140 pounds. I reversed all the diseases I was facing and really started stepping into my best self as a result of everything I was doing. And, you know, there was measuring different things and getting my, my leaky gut syndrome going on and, and really understanding my gut health and then even understanding my brain waves. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that went into it, but it all started with meditation. Meditation was one of the most powerful things that I had been recommended, oh man, probably in like 2011, 2012 by a friend that I would just randomly check in with. And I remember how different he was when he was telling me about it. Because he also, like he's such a go-getter. He was always just bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. So you imagine someone has to have a mind to match all of those actions. And I don't know who recommended it to him, but he would also write after he got done meditating. And then he would send me his writings randomly. And I'm like, who are you? Like, these are like soul musing, so deep, cathartic, yet expansive writings that like, no matter who wrote it, it wasn't personal to him. That's what I noticed immediately. It was you could see whatever you as the reader wanted to see in it. And I was like, you get this like after meditation? Because obviously when you're getting into it first, all you can think about is that squirrel brain that you have, right? And you tell yourself, oh, I'm never going to be able to get all these racing thoughts away from me. Um, And that's what I struggled with in the beginning is really trying to focus on the breath and just be comfortable with being still and setting down. And if your mind wanders to just bring it back to center, bring it back to center over and over and over. Did you find yourself doing that when you first got into it? So I absolutely love that you asked this question simply because I, it's in the first page of my book I'm writing right now, uh, all about mindset, mindfulness, and mental health. And it's, it's one thing that I think is so important to talk about is because when I very first started meditating, sitting for five minutes was hard. And the reason why is because it felt like a lifetime. My thoughts were racing, they were going crazy and I have to keep coming back, coming back to my breath, come back to the visualization of my thoughts, you know, being in bubbles, popping up and just going out of my awareness. But it was constant. It was like, I, I'm being bombarded. Am I doing this wrong? Is my brain broken? What is going on here? And I, you know, I just kept going. I kept practicing thinking that, uh, you know, maybe this will calm and it does, you know, absolutely. The more you practice, the more, um, it calms down. But it wasn't until I heard on a podcast that this is meditating. Like when you first sit down and you're seeing your mind be completely active, go crazy, you're running the program, you're first becoming aware of it. Like if you've never practiced calming your mind, becoming aware that your mind is active, then when you very first start, this is meditation. It's you becoming aware of it and constantly coming back, constantly coming back, constantly coming back. And then after a while, when you practice it, you essentially build this meditation muscle, if you will, then it calms down and you get deeper awareness. And like your friend, I also journal after meditating because like, you get a it brings your subconscious conscious and when that happens like you surprise even yourself of what comes out and even when I do my writing I'll do these little meditation and breathing exercises I'll put on certain music and it's because that's where my best stuff is it's when we get into these deeper brain states and 
meditation was like the start of being able to understand the deeper brain states and really figure out how to calm your mind, how to be like, okay, I see you. I see the thought. Let's just let you pass. I'm not going to judge you. And we're just going to continuously bring it back. And then the more we do it, the more calm, the more practice, the more addicting it becomes. And it's like, wow, this is such a calm, peaceful feeling, but it's not going to be that way at first. No, not at all. And were there any books? I know you said you read a podcast, but were there any books that you read that really caught your eye about meditation? So there were a few books that I would read. And honestly, the, the top two that is along these lines would be The, um, the Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And it is, it is incredible. And one just little tool real quick that was from there that I thought was really powerful is imagining your own brain that is telling you all these things as a crazy roommate and like picturing it as a roommate outside of yourself and just picturing it go crazy of just like, Oh man, do you hear that dog barking? That dog's so loud. I can't believe that, you know, <laughs> owner is letting that dog bark like that. Oh, do you see that guy walking down the street? I wonder what he's up to. Oh, you, you like that car? Check out that car, you know? And if you imagine your brain, like a roommate just going on and on and on and like flipping sides from every single different thing like oh she didn't answer your tag she probably hates you yeah you're a piece of shit you know <laughs> just like all of this stuff and then you picture the, your roommate just constantly talking to you like that you would just be like dude shut the hell up and just leave me alone you're crazy and that little tool of just like wow if we can actually picture our thoughts like this and just tell it to calm down to just, you know what, just shut up for a moment. <laughs> then all of a sudden we do have that peace and we may have to do it again and again and again, but letting the thoughts pass through us with no reaction, no, no attachment to it, just enjoying the thought for what it is. Even if it's unpleasant, you know, it always is there to teach us something. And if we just let it go and let it pass through us, then you feel unpleasant for maybe a moment. And then you don't hold on to it. And that's the most beautiful thing. So the untethered soul was, was incredible at teaching this stuff. And then MetaHuman by Deepak Chopra. That one is, it's a little deep for some. Um, if you have a base understanding of quantum physics, it'll make the concepts a lot easier. But um, it goes deep really quickly. So that book's not for everybody. But if you are into meditation, into energy, understand some of, uh, like things like entanglement and and how energy works that way, then uh, I would absolutely recommend MetaHuman too. It's a really really good book. Definitely not a beginner reference though. No, no, I'd say start with uh, the Untethered Soul. That yeah. one is everybody will get uh, amazing um, tools from that book. There's a book that my friend gave me years ago when I went, you know, and like you come across a book or even a paragraph and you're like. I understand it, but I want to, I'm not there yet. You know, like this still is too deep for me, but I'm totally interested. Um, it was called Cosmic Energy. And he gave it to me and he's like, it, like as soon as you read the first page, he's like, it's right up your alley. It's totally your thing. So I read like the first five pages and it's talking about basically like quantum entanglement and the way that energy works and seeing auras and just very, it wasn't, like a spiritual aspect, it really was like scientifically written. Like this is just a matter of fact, we're all energy. We're just understanding how we're manipulating it and how we're taught to manipulate it and on and on and on. 
And like first five pages, I knew that it was deep. I knew that I wasn't there yet, but I knew it's where I wanted to be. Like this is the stuff that I researched behind the scenes for so long and never told anybody about. Cause like when you're sitting with your friends, when you're, you know, in your twenties and they're like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I was just researching chakras. Cause I think they're interesting. You know, <laughs> like that was never really a topic of conversation. Now it is. Cause I'm like, I'm out of the closet, right? Everybody knows what I love to research now. But back then I used to read that stuff so close to my heart just so I could interpret it and understand it to the level that I can now. So when you bring up that book, I feel like that was my cosmic energy moment where I'm like, I will get back to you, but I need to go to something simpler that breaks another concept down for me first before I go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> I totally... I totally understand that. And it's really uh, us stepping into the vibration of our, of us, of our passion, of who we are. And I really, uh, I enjoy, I relate to that so much simply because you, you are who you surround yourself with. I mean, this is what mindset's all about. You, everything uh, from information to media to friends, you become like your five closest friends. And so there wasn't uh, too long ago I was, you know, going to the same barbecues, going to the same get togethers. I still enjoyed my friends for the time that I had with them, but all of a sudden I was an outsider. It was like, I don't want to talk about the same old stuff anymore. I don't want to like do the same thing anymore. Like, well, what do I want to talk about? Do you know how your brain works? Do you know how your gut works? This is incredible, guys. Like, we can live so much longer. We can reverse disease. How do you not want to talk about this, you know? And, if you're in an environment where you really can't talk about the stuff that you're really passionate about, then that's not your crowd. That's not your, your people. You know, it's truly being around people that are going to support and foster that enthusiasm and then challenge you. And when we understand that it's better to be the dumbest person in the room and not to dumb ourselves down for the people in the room, then we grow exponentially. We grow so quick, everything in our life changes. And so um, when we're surrounded by people and when it's hard to talk about this type of stuff, then find a new crowd that wants to hear it because you'll build confidence, you'll get more information, you'll understand things. And, and that vibration is, is enhanced all of a sudden, you know, there's a great book on this called the, you are the placebo by Dr. Joe Dispenza and the placebo effect, which is really what we're talking about with energy is the greatest thing known to mankind. Like it truly is. There is a, um, a medicine, a journal of medicine that actually has every single disease that we know of in there that has been healed by the placebo effect. And when we understand that it's literally the belief and mindset around what we're going into, that's going to essentially determine whether our own amazing, incredible immune system and body can heal ourselves from anything. Then what can we do if we start channeling that same energy with everything we're doing with our, um, you know, our emotions, our thoughts, our goals, our vision. Like if, you meditate and look five years into the future and it doesn't look big, audacious, hard. You don't know how you're going to do it, but you know, you are, then maybe you're aiming too small. Maybe it's, it's not challenging enough for you to activate this drive in you, this passion in you, you know, like 
in, in five years, I plan on being in space for the first time. I have no idea how it's going to happen. I have uh, some ideas, but like, I just know that it will. And everywhere that I, I look, you know, from the flag hanging on my wall to my shoes, to a lot of my clothes, like there's space on it to remind me of, of where I'm going. Even my wallet is a wallet of the cosmos, you know, and it's just because I'm so obsessed and I'm surrounding myself. I mean, you can even see in the, the logo right here mm -hmm. that there's the cosmos in the brain. And it's just because I know where I'm going and I want to inspire the world through these big goals of like, you can do anything. Like literally there's nothing you can do, but it's going to be up to you whether or not you achieve that. And that's the, the basis for you are the placebo, the basis for this vibration. Like what is your mindset and what is the action? Like the greatest um, law or lesson with the law of attraction is action. You have to plant the seed first and then send it the energy to enhance that vision, to bring that, that future into existence. You can't be a farmer and meditate all the time, but never go plant the seeds and expect a great harvest. You have to go plant the seeds, you have to go water the seeds, and then you have to send it the most amazing, abundant energy to have the most beautiful, incredible harvest. And that's how really the law of attraction works. It's, it's the law of harvest, it's the law of action, taking action on your dreams, and then visualizing it, surrounding yourself, stepping into it, seeing yourself as that person and watch it come to you. So many things I want to break down there because you're so correct, 100%. And then there's so many, like there's different advice that I've gotten over the years for law of attraction, manifestation, and really you attracting the vibration that you want. Because so often, I mean, I've studied this stuff for so long and I've been fascinated by it for so long that when I meet people that don't understand the frequency vibration talk or energy talk I'm I'm kind of like you where I've had those moments where I'm like okay I'm at a barbecue what am I going to talk about what what kind of conversations am I going to be involved in and I mean they really are like hey this is what I did this is what I'm watching on Netflix or if it's like a Debbie Downer conversation or just normal stuff that people are doing and I'm like you, I'm like, well, I just found out today that, you know, red light therapy melts fat cells and drains through your lymphatic system. So now I'm Googling the lymphatic system forever to see how, you know, the whole machine works and all of that. And that's not how normal people spend their day. They don't like find something and attach to it to see how they can make their body better in a sense or make them understand something. So... I find myself sometimes struggling with being socially awkward when I'm actually a very outgoing person. But when I get, like you said, in like these things, these places that you've always been, you start noticing like they're okay just not understanding their body or just this is what we learned about the human body. We get older, we quit drinking water and it gets harder to stretch and you grunt after you get out of bed and that's just the way it is. And I'm so confused by that mindset when people say that because there's so much more that we can do to our bodies that we don't to increase the vitality. So then when you move over even to the law of attraction or manifestation, um, when you said you the farmer can sit there and meditate, but they still have to go out and plant the seed. It reminds me when I saw Andy Andrews when I was younger and he said, God feeds the birds, but he doesn't put the worm in the nest. 
And then like years later, I was talking to an astrologist and she was giving, you know, like a whole planetary reading on manifestations. And she talked about, you know, writing the action down, getting it on pen and paper, doing all the actions that you need to do in between the meditation. Don't forget manifestation takes action, but then you have to release the expectation and let the energy do its job. So my last one is I just saw a meme a couple weeks ago that put me in a little bit of perspective about the things that I want to strive to in my life. And it was like, if you planted a seed, would you dig it up like every two seconds to see if it's growing? No, you have to plant it, water it, give it good intention and let the other resources do their jobs. And I find myself getting um, like that squirrel brain will come back to me from time to time. And I'm like, am I doing everything that I can do? Should I do enough? Is this where I stop and meditate? Should I go check the seed one more time? Um, because you're dealing with so many invisible forces that scientifically we're able to talk to them more, talk about them more now than we ever have. But still, when you have such big dreams, especially for you, because you want to go to space in five years and you're like, figure it out. I know that I'm going. And you keep all the reminders around you. I'm the same way. I have all the reminders of all the things that I want to learn and do and be as I continue. But in those same groups, in those same stunted conversations, have you found um, like a little insecure that you dream too big? So I think there's always insecurities there. I think that's the um, process of us being human. Um, I have not met a single coach or podcaster that does not have imposter syndrome of some sort. And it's, it's one of those things where we do have to remind ourselves all the time. And there was also a really wonderful quote in The Buddha and the Badass by Vishen Lakhiani. And it was 50% of your goals are meant to fail. I think that we have this uh, attachment to the outcome that we don't enjoy the process. And that is, uh, and that's been a hard one to learn for me because we want to end up (laughs) where we want to go that we forget that life is the process, like everything that happens, the waiting, the patience, the tenacity, this is where we learn our greatest lessons. And this is where really the meat of life comes in. You know, uh, it's also the same idea that my mentor said to me a long time ago, which was, is it self-help or is it shelf help? Like the integration part of everything we're doing is probably the most important aspect of it. You know, the integration being the the seed, the action, small steps done consistently creates miracles. But will I make it to space in five years? I have no idea. Maybe it's 10 years. Am I okay with that? Thousand percent. That, that sounds amazing. The fact that I get to experience life and our space in my lifetime is incredible and something that just 10 years ago, I did not think was possible, which, uh, you know, not without a lot of schooling that I really wasn't interested in anyway. And yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so it's really, you know, all of these big audacious goals and not having attachment to the outcome, but just having uh, gratitude for the process, you know, like I, I aim to live to at least 212 years old and it doesn't even sound crazy when I explain my reasoning behind why I think I can do that. Do I really care if I make it to 212? 
No, like I'm okay if I die tomorrow. Like literally I'm excited for death. I'm just not looking to accelerate it, you know? And so whenever that happens, it's just this, this passing, this next thing that's inevitable is going to happen for all of us. And, and it'll be a beautiful thing no matter how it happens. However, I still believe I can live to 212. And so I'm going to try and I'm going to do everything I can right now to, uh, reverse my biological age. So I have the greatest chance of doing that. But, you know, if I make it to 150, I'm going to be like, oh, no, I'm a failure. No, like it doesn't matter. It's just an amazing goal to stretch us to step into our best selves. So many things that I could say right now, but I'm going to like four sentences want to come out at one time. Okay, one, I had a grandma not by blood, but she lived to be like 113, I believe. And she was still like of sound mind and knew who everybody was when she passed, which I thought was, I mean, I've never met anybody since her that lived that long, but the way that she was able to keep herself good and the people that cared for her until her last day really made me think about age, especially when I saw like other people on the other side of my family drop off in like their 60s and 70s based on, you know, the way that they took care of themselves. So you want to live. I It's not like I'm like, oh, that's impossible and you can't do it. My thing for like when I think of when I'm going to exit this soul contract is what's the world going to be like that at that age? And how is the world going to support me at that age, because no matter how vital you are, you still have a vulnerability when you're in your younger years. And then even when you're, you know, like sending yourself back to source, there's a brittleness in that age that I see so deeply that I'm like, well, is that when you just like you live on a very private homestead property and you just spend most of your days meditating and walking through nature and just enjoying the silence of the rest of your life or are you going to be like a case study and nobody's going to leave you alone and everybody's going to be wanting to interview you because you're over 200 years old and nobody's been able to attain that length of vitality that we've seen that we can talk about that isn't in some old manuscript that we martyr like you know there's some <laughs> celestial being that had some super special power to make them live so long So where did the idea of wanting to live that long come from? So this is one of my favorite topics. I love this. Um, So it came from who I surround myself with. So I surround myself with, you know, Peter Diamandis, um, David uh, Sinclair, Dr. David Sinclair, who's like one of the godfathers of the longevity field and longevity research. And uh, just these people, Tony Robbins, he's another one. They wrote a great book called Life Force that will blow people away with the possibilities of what's happening right now. But really, it's understanding how we work. And so right now, you're, you're correct. We, there seems to be a limit on about 120, about how far humans can age right now. And if you ask, you know, if I ask anybody in uh, a certain way, how long they want to live, almost nobody will say past a hundred. And it's because we look at old age and we look at people with ailments, disease, broken hips and, and life support, all of it. And we're like, man, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to have Alzheimer's. I don't want to lose my faculties. I want to be gone before that. Right. 
And I understand that. And that's, that's a valid reason to not want to age. However, I believe, and the work of David Sinclair is suggesting that all of these diseases, all these frailments are actually a symptom of aging itself and aging is the disease. Now, I don't want people that are listening to think that I think aging is a horrible thing or anything like that. I think it's a beautiful thing that we get to experience old age. However, I think we can do it better. And the work of what he's doing, if we look at our, our cells and how they replicate, and you think of like a record, well, every single time that record gets scratched, when we replicate our cells and that defect is in the next cell that's replicate and everything from radiation to food to diet to environment essentially puts scratches on this record. So we're replicating cells and they're becoming aged simply because we're not doing anything to clean up all of the stuff that we've done, all the damage that we've done. And before long, these cells actually become uh, what's called zombie cells. And these cells that go rampant, that have lived their purpose, but they refuse to die off. And if we don't do things like fasting, intermittent fasting, cold therapy, like all kinds of different stuff, we can definitely go into the biohacking uh, part of it if you want. But then we never get a chance to clean up these cells. And so these cells themselves is what turns into Alzheimer's, heart disease, all these different things, because we're not giving it a chance to essentially wipe that record clean anymore. Well, this is the research that's gone into this, and they've done things like using an enzyme, be able to reset the cellular age of a rat that was like equivalent to 70 years old, and make it a young 25 to 30 year old rat again and able to run faster than it ever had in its life when it was well into its seventies, as far as the, how rats age compared to humans, but uh, we're able to completely reset it. They also were able to bring back sight. So mice that had went blind, couldn't see using an enzyme, they were able to regenerate their eyesight using an enzyme. And so what it suggests and what they're working on is we can do this with every single organ in our body. And there's literal, literal things we can do right now to measure our biomarkers, measure our cellular age and have healthy hormones of a young, you know, 25 year old well into our eighties. And we can have telomeres that are longer as a result of measuring these different biomarkers to be able to have the cellular age of a much younger person. And as we do this, some interesting things are starting to happen. And with the convergence of all the technology that's happening right now, things like being able to get your own human genome mapped and find out all the DNAs and genetics that goes into what makes Cheyenne Cheyenne. And you can see, oh, I'm predisposed for Alzheimer's. I have an extra set of this one gene. Well, there's all this science out right now, all this uh, work going into this saying, if you do these things, if you fast for five days, if you take a challenging hike that's multi-days and you have to use nothing but a map to find your way through, then it challenges your brain in these certain ways to likely prevent Alzheimer's. And so there's all these little different things we can do to mitigate things that have been happening to accelerate aging. And the more we do this and the more we intercept the different technologies, like when that technology comes out where it's like, 
I have a bad liver. Well, let's just get this enzyme, put it here, and I can actually regenerate a whole new healthy liver for myself that's like of a young 20-year-old, you know? Fascinating. So the thing that popped up in my mind when you were saying that was I watched, I think it was like a food documentary because they really wanted to get the point across of what any processed food or synthetic food that we eat, what it does to our body, but also what it does to our DNA. And they were noticing certain chemicals literally turn on disease in people's DNA that whether it is in their code or, you know, because some people just get a disease like they're the first person in their family ever and it just makes no sense. But when you go back to all the additives and all of these foods, whether it says organic or not, you know, the labeling is just ridiculous, especially how much time I spend reading labels at a grocery store. And I'm like, trash panda. And I have to throw it back, you know, just when you think it's a good company. But are you able to like match your food based on those testings that you've already done on yourself? So, so yes, and I'm about to actually do more testing so I can uh, fine tune it even more, but there's, there's a few tests out there where you can get your genome mapped and understand what's going on. And this is just called epigenetics. So epigenetics is genetic expression. So the environment we surround ourselves with, including mindset, including media, including all of it, but the environment we put within ourselves is so incredibly important to keep genes turned on or off. And the majority, like if we eat intuitively, that's a great start. You don't have to go get a bunch of tests done. Now it does help. But if you eat intuitively and understand that, you know, maybe I shouldn't eat a handful of potato chips. There's not really any nutritional value in here. Maybe I should go with that salad with some, you know, great organic olive oil and vinegar and and have a much healthier choice here. And when we understand what it's doing genetically to us, then we can prevent disease altogether. And the, the intent, the intention, meditation, diet, all of it combined, you really can't separate it, will help you with this. But if you want to go further, there is a test you can take to get your own human genome map. So they'll take your DNA and they'll look at all the genetic sequencing using computers for about 250 bucks. You will understand what you're predisposed for and how to essentially have a customized plan to keep those genes turned off. And and that's really what is so important about longevity is if you can keep your immune system and everything that's healthy specific to you online, then you have a much, much greater chance of aging gracefully, aging better and not having disease. You know, the best cure for any disease is to prevent it altogether. Um, the other thing you can do is also get your gut bacteria measured. So your your genetics and your gut bacteria evolved from your ancestors. So it is designed and very good at breaking down certain things. And it absolutely sucks at breaking down other stuff. And it's very specific to you. So if you get your DNA and your gut bacteria measured and you understand, oh, this is what I need to grow my beneficial gut bacteria. This is what I need to avoid because it's hurting me. And sometimes it's stuff that you thought was helping you and you thought was healthy for you, but it's actually not great for your system. Then we can actually start customizing the way our body shows up. It affects our brain. It affects the way we uh, build muscle. It affects how we create energy. It affects all of it. So if we get in alignment with what our gut bacteria and the DNA of our body is telling us, 
then we can show up much, much better as a result of, of all of it. And it's very specific to you, your lineage and, and all of it, but it's so incredibly important to understand what we're predisposed for and understand what is going on in the gut bacteria of, of us. So when we were kids and they used to present us the pyramid, right, of food and of clean health and this is what you need. Now we have commercials that are like, just because an apple a day keeps the doctor away from me doesn't mean it keeps the doctor away from you. Because this is how I first heard about this testing. It's probably on like a YouTube ad where you can get this panel and it'll literally tell you like, hey, all this food is good for you. All this food is bad for you. And it's literally based off you, your mapping, nobody else. Blew my absolute mind is absolutely on my list to try and do because I know there's like you, I'm so curious of the things I can hone in on and actually add to my bag of tricks and then kind of update my bag of tricks as I go along. Um, I can't say that I want to live to be the age that you do. So I admire you for like having the number picked out. Um, I am just really excited that I actually have the want and the drive to be vital and I have such a passion and a curiosity for finding out new ways, especially holistically or organically, to continue to propel myself further. Like especially when I look at, I'm sure you do this, you look at older pictures of yourself before you even had the awareness of how um, important it is to really take care of yourself in that manner. Because I, I think a lot of, before I had an awakening, so to speak, um, like my eyes just kind of look like zombified and over, like I'm not really in the driver's seat of my life in those older pictures. And so many of us are like, oh, you know, 20s, you still consider yourself young, no matter what like health format you're in. And I mean, I was skinny for the most part. Um, I didn't, I went back and forth between like working out and randomly clean eating. But for the most part, like I still had a very red meat diet and still over processed foods. So then now I'm 32. I look back at those older pictures when I actually thought I was living life and, you know, doing the things you're supposed to do. And my eyes are the biggest thing that I see that they aren't really like as lively and enthusiastic and vital as I find them now. Have you done retrospect in the older phases of your life to see how you yourself are coming back to life through all the knowledge that you're taking in for your journey? Did I say that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yes, I, I have. And it's, it's definitely interesting looking back because there's different times where I've been very, very healthy and very, um, in tune. And, and, you know, one of those times, the very first time I remember actually getting extremely healthy and doing all kinds of work on myself, even though I didn't necessarily realize fully that I was doing all this work on myself at that time. It just was, we were reading books and we were journaling and we were growing pot in the middle of the redwoods. So we didn't have much else to do. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like a dream. <laughs> it was, it was an interesting adventure for sure. But you know, when I look at different times in my life and I look at pictures, there's times where I seem more lively and times where I see, I see like, seem like I'm just surviving and all of them have been very interesting to look at. But by far at this stage in my life where it's 
kind of connecting all the pieces from all the experiences and all the knowledge and wisdom that I've picked up along the way, I see a more liveliness in my eyes. I see a more uh, like passionate look to myself and in, in pictures and everything that I'm doing. And it's because I'm fully embodying and um, stepping into all of it now. Whereas before it was kind of the journey of getting here. And so there's been like, I was introduced to meditation back in, I want to say 2006, 2007, somewhere around there. And it wasn't like I started practicing every day. I didn't even know the benefits really. And it was just this like weird old hippie lady that I just didn't know what I thought of. So I was like, uh, I don't know about this, you know, but yeah, I do remember weird old hippie lady. You ever yeah. notice how that happens? You recommend meditation, new people. They're like, okay, weirdo. You're like, you have no idea the benefits, man. Exactly. You're like, if, if you only knew how yes. life-changing this is. Mm -hmm. um, but it also is something that like kind of stuck with me throughout my life, even though I didn't start practicing it every day. I started doing it at random times, especially super stressful times to, to really see if it helped. And so it's something that like I had a tool, but it wasn't a tool that I was putting into use constantly to see what would happen. And, uh, and so I've gained a bunch of tools around the way, along the way, but it was like taking the action on all the tools to be able to get to where I'm at. And as soon as I started doing that and started just making tiny steps forward, you know, I say 1% better every day, you know, and it's, it's true. If you want to do a hundred pushups, well, let's do one today, you know, and that's all you have to do. Maybe tomorrow you'll do two, 1% better every day. And, uh, and when I started kind of encompassing this lifestyle then all of me started coming alive and you see it in my eyes you see it in my smile you see it in my passion and that's something that i definitely don't see throughout the pictures and then of course when i'm obese when i'm having disease all of that then it's a whole different person you know just looking at me you just see a different energy a different person a different whole holds different vibration I was just going to say, I can see the difference in vibration just when you're talking about it, you know, especially disease is the really thing that like weighs you down and pulls you down. Like I just see a bunch of like cords shoved into you, right? And like the energy is just being sucked out tremendously. And I've had, I haven't had anything like what you had. So I, I don't have that me too moment with you, but I've had <laughs> moments where I've had like medical issues in my life and they thank God were temporary. Um, but I remember just how hopeless you feel when you have that conversation with a doctor or, you know, however the information gets to you. And the mental part is what is extremely debilitating. So meditation, yes, super important, but when did you get on the like affirmation, self-love look like when's the first time you looked yourself in the mirror and was like, I'm going to save myself. <laughs> so it was uh, around the same time that I started meditating. It was actually a uh, practice that my mentor had me do. And it was looking in the mirror, looking myself in the eyes and telling myself that I loved myself. And that was so hard. Oh my goodness. Like looking myself in the eyes and like not wanting to look away and actually believing that I loved myself was, was really incredibly hard. 
And, and that was a clue of, of how my relationship with myself truly was. And it's, it's a powerful tool, soul gazing and understanding the power of soul gazing. I'll even, um, you know, coach people to do the I am affirmations and sit with it and see how it feels. Where do you feel it in your body? Um, just sit there and stare for five minutes and, and see what emotions pop up and where those emotions pop up in your body. And it's uh, it's a powerful tool because you are learning so much about yourself and the more you can integrate it within yourself, because truly integration is the most important part of all of this. The moment you become unstoppable, the moment you're not doing it for anybody else, you're not doing it for, you know, to gain accolades or anything like that. It's just this, this is who I am. I'm finally seeing all of me. I'm integrating all of me. I'm looking at my failures. I'm looking at the lessons and they're no longer something I'm going to hide. I'm not a victim to them anymore. I'm going to change them into a story of empowerment and what lesson I learned as a result. And once we do all of this and accept all parts of ourselves, no matter how messed up they seem, all of a sudden we take that energy and we create it into something that is empowering us to move forward instead of a victim that's been holding us back our entire life. So these types of tools um, really uh, started along uh, the same, same time frame. I think maybe a couple weeks after meditation and have been so incredibly powerful. And one thing I want to say is um, real quick, going back to, you, you didn't feel the same way I did. And I would say, you know, I, you probably did. And most people probably do because the disease is really the outer aspect of trauma that's happened in our life. And if we understand that trauma and dealing with these shadow parts of ourselves and the pain and the shame and all the stuff that goes along with that is one of the hardest and most powerful things we can do. And, you know, fortunately, a lot of people can actually intercept this before it becomes full-blown disease. But thankfully, I don't have something crazy like Hashimoto's or cancer or something else as a result of being stuck in that mindset and that place for so long. I love that you brought that up. That was going to be one of my questions later down the line was, what do you think about dis-ease manifesting into our body from traumas that we either suppress or don't even realize are there? But here we are. Here we are. Well, and I love it because I think it's the one of the things that absolutely happens. It's, you know, as I went to massage school and we were trained in Thai Eastern modalities, it was all about energy first. And it was not something that I wasn't used to or exposed to, but the uh, extent that they went into energy first was so beautiful. And there's such a huge lesson here because in the Western culture, what are we taught when we had a rough day at home? We fought with our spouse or the children, like mess some stuff up and our energy is chaotic. And then we come to work. They say, leave your stuff at the door. Does that ever happen though? Like truly? No, usually you're in a bad mood. You're trying to like not focus on something that was just a big part of your morning and step into this other part of yourself and kind of separate the two and they don't actually get separated. You're short, you're, you know, don't want to talk to people. You're kind of snippy and nobody knows what's going on with you. I feel so cold out right now. (laughs) <laughs> and this it's because we stuff it, right? Me. Yeah, but it's so true. 
you triggered my memory when you said leave it at the door because that was one of like that was one of the main training points they're like obviously if like something big happened to you right before you came to work like let us know we'll take you outside and we'll like give you a minute but none of us at that age were trained on what leaving it at the door means and what it will actually do to you down the road because it's still a form of suppression you know it's mm-hmm. a it's a capitalistic rule of shut yourself down go make money and i remember joking before i ever got into the depth of how important it is to really honor my feelings and honor the flow state of things good and bad coming towards me but i would just say you know like i have multiple personalities that i made for this job that i clock into and this was the service industry at the time so like a friday and a saturday personality is different than a Sunday personality. You know, you're getting you're getting the Vegas strip on Friday and Saturday from me. You know what I mean? Like I am working it. But Sunday, like I come in, I have a hat and like I'm not as good as my Friday, Saturday vibes sometimes. And it really was that like roller coaster of emotions and whatever I was going through. And I would always remember like leave it at the door because eventually they would come up to you and they're gonna notice that you're short or you're kind of disassociative or your head's down, like all the body language that gives you away when you're giving off the vibe of, I don't want to do anything and I don't want to be here. I literally have to be here because I'm scheduled. And that was me for the longest time. And I mean, even when I was working up the management chain, there would just be days where I would come into my job. (laughs) They would be like, oh God, she's wearing a hat today. But it's Thursday. That's crazy. Her work, ju- like her work week, just started. What could have happened? So, retrospectively looking back, I had no idea how to one deal with the emotions in my body, but then shutting them down and just pretending for eight to ten hours a day that all of these things weren't affecting me were slowly like sucking my soul dry is the best way that I could describe it at the time because again looking back at all the old photos I just remember like my face looks so much more sunken in my eyes again just like kind of zombified and going along with whatever motions they are and like you I mean I don't have any like chronic illness that I'm you know, like stuck with combating while I try to get myself better but I've had things come up where I'm like I wonder if that's a trauma that I haven't dealt with because I read this research, you know, where these things are correlating more and more for me, but I wasn't raised around people who talked like that. Like disease is is something in your body that you go to the doctor for. It's a physical ailment and we have a pill for you. You know, that's (laughs) how we were like, if you're, you're not allowed to go research yourself because that offends the doctor's degree. Okay. We don't want to offend the medical professional. So even when I went to the doctor's office, the older I got and I would do my own research, the doctor just looked at me, you know, kind of insulted. Like, why are you even here if you can do your own research, right? Um, So I had to go more of a holistic approach. The older I got, like I used to have eczema when I was a kid really bad. And that goes back into like your gut health and your microbiome and all of that research because I'm definitely just like dropping little labels for people to go look at their self. But even when I got into the research of like serotonin levels based on certain foods or fruits and vegetables that you put in your gut, 
I felt really far behind getting all of this knowledge at once. And then I looked back at the way that I was taught going back to the food pyramid. And I was like, not one person ever in my education, K through 12 and the little bit of college that I got through, ever told me that these foods will help you with this thing called depression that you think that you have. If you do this, it's going to add vitality. If you do this, if you do this. Like the only thing we got really was was the apple a day and like drink water. And where I live, red meat is life. Okay. <laughs> so moving away from all of that too, you get like a completely different vantage point and perspective. Like I didn't grow up with people that were vegan, you know, or vegetarian. I would meet like one randomly just getting gas in a small town. And I would be like, how do you live? That doesn't make sense to us here. <laughs> what do you mean? And now with all of the other research kind of going on, again, I'm still floored by all the stuff that I find, even if it's stuff that I've researched like you, like five years ago, I'm like, this makes sense now. Okay, how do I add it? How do I keep increasing it and adding it to like my routine? Which, speaking of routine, would you like to tell everybody what your morning routine is? Because I'm extremely envious of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the very first thing, so the very first thing I do, as soon as I wake up, as soon as my eyes open, I tell myself, today is going to be amazing. And the reason why is because the very first thing, when you're still in the deeper brain state coming out of sleep, your brain actually attaches onto and finds reasons for that to be true. So that's a, that's a very important thing. If we're waking up and we're like, oh man, I don't want to go to work today. Well, your brain's going to find reasons and chances are you have enough reasons already reinforcing that. We don't need any more. <laughs> but when we change when we change that, some, some interesting things happen. But I say today is going to be amazing. Then I do a meditation. And then I jump in a cold shower and take my cold shower. I usually uh, journal after that and then I'll go for a walk and listen to my book and, uh, and usually without sunglasses on do about a mile walk and get the sunshine in my eyes. Uh, that's both to get vitamin D, but also to start my circadian clock and be able to fall asleep later at night. I love that so much. There was something you said in the beginning. Oh, okay. So what you say to yourself right when you wake up, we have to pull this apart because this was so, so, so important for me when I started out. Because just like you, I did the mirror work. I still do the mirror work. But the beginning of doing the mirror work was like a lifetime movie, right? Because nobody, nobody's comfortable with looking at themselves in the mirror in the beginning of that work. And you feel silly. You really, you're like, okay, well, I'm talking to myself. This is great. I just found out I have... No fucks given for myself, right? I love everybody else. I will put my cape on any day for you. But now I have to look in the mirror at whatever age I'm at and just be like, shit, nobody ever taught me how important this was, right? So you go in, you go in, you have these like subtle energy experiences. That's the best way that I can picture them just to keep the science and the spirit together. And when I got a hold of affirmations where I actually started using them, Every day, I did the research about what brainwave state I'm in that will grasp the knowledge, kind of like you said, and what will either like kick it out. And I'm like you, when I wake up in the morning, I rotate different affirmations. And usually the first thing I say now, based on the way that I used to wake up in the past, 
um, I always say thank you. Thank you so much for giving me another day because there was a day where I woke up and I was really pissed that I was still alive. Like I would just roll over and I would be like, ugh, why? I don't want to, I'm literally, I don't want to be here. I'm so pissed, right? Like I'm like the lady on Hocus Pocus. She's like, ah, another glorious morning, you know? So when you say that you wake up and you're like, today's going to be a really great day. I feel so seen with you saying that because I have those affirmations that I do immediately. Like whether I'm like, I'm getting ready to wake up and my eyes are still closed or I wake up and I'm like doing my morning stretch and I don't just do one, right? Like I'm like, oh, thank you so much. And then I like, I'm like you, today's going to be a great day. I already know what my schedule is going to be. And I did this from Abraham Hicks. Do you listen to her? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, where she was talking about how she was planning on her tour. So she was getting like all the flights done. And basically like when you look at a busy schedule, even though you want to do it, the imposter syndrome comes in based on the work that you're doing. And then, oh my gosh, like if this flight cancels or if this, da 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 and you start doing the worry plan in your head. So she was like, um, you know, I plan on my flights. All my flights are going to leave on time. Baggage claim is going to be great. And she sets these intentions into motion from the moment that she wakes up based on the fact that she's still in that programmable, like, is it theta? Because it's hypnagogia when we're going to sleep. So when you're waking up, isn't it still that subconscious theta state that you're still programmable? It's like a theta going into the delta, which both of those are still that dreamlike state. Mm -hmm. So it's where the majority of your programming lives. Okay, good. I'm like, I want to make sure I got that right because I haven't done a brainwave episode in two years and I'm starting to realize how rusty I am on it talking to you. So... Another rabbit hole that I need to get down. But while we're talking about brainwaves, because I'm all about tree branching when I talk, um, I want you to tell everybody about your EEG experience before we move on to my favorite topic of the day. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> so um, what I was reading, when I was reading Change Your Brain, Change Your Life by Dr. Amen, and then uh, The End of Mental Illness also by Dr. Amen, was the importance of how our brain is working. And so he measures brains on a spec scanner and the spec scanner measures your electrical activity and the blood flow of your brain. And what he found out after, I think he's you know up over 200,000 different brain scans now, is depending on what we're doing, the environment, the uh, food that we're eating, the exercise we're getting is completely dependent and shown on how our brain is showing up. And there's different things throughout our life that will affect the electrical activity and, and sometimes the blood flow of our brain. For me, I had ADHD. And what I didn't realize is this stemmed from a traumatic brain injury that happened when I was 13 years old. And so when I was 13, I was showing my brother that, hey, I can wheelie on a bike, bro. Check this out. And I definitely did. And I just went right over onto my head and I got a concussion from it. And this actually showed up on my EEG brain scan. And it wasn't a spec scanner. It was just an EEG 
20 years later. And so the, the EEG literally looks at all these different things in our brain. Like if we think about uh, some of us have probably seen movies and saw the guy with that funny little cap on that has all these electrodes that are measuring different parts of the head. It's literally what it was. And so it was measuring all the different electrical activity. And what essentially it showed was the left rear of my brain wasn't talking to the front right of my brain, my prefrontal cortex. And as a result of this, then I could start 20, you know, 50 different things at a time. I just couldn't finish any of them. Like, it's just my brain was so scattered. And part of this was because of brain injury that I had when I was 13 years old. So using biofeedback and, and getting my, um, brain working optimally which they have this really cool program where they'll show you like a tv show or a movie and it'll be in black and white until your brain starts making the very specific brain waves and starts talking to each other then it'll come into color and they make it a little harder and harder and tweak it for your brain to do but once it sees the color it wants to continue seeing in color so it starts making those brain waves so it's uh, it's pretty pretty cool and interesting stuff but my brain started working again my brain started coming online and everything i was doing you know meditation i was even measuring my heart rhythm with heart math which essentially helps us stay in these deeper brain states and i started realizing that beta or our fight or flight was really the only brain state where inflammation exists and that was fascinating to me and so when we're in beta brain space, this fight or flight brain space all the time, well, your body has to be inflamed. It's what it was evolutionary designed to do. If you're trying to fight off the enemy or run from the enemy, then you want every single resource possible in order to do that. So all function from your digestive system to your brain, to your lungs, everything gets diverted to prepare to get away from the intruder. And so when the intruder is now blue light coming at us all the time, your boss, your spouse, your children, traffic, construct, you know, the list goes on and on. You can just keep going, but we're never out of beta brain space and our body is like, let's get out of danger. Let's fight everybody. And then we're wondering why we feel so fatigued, tired. Our, our bodies aren't healing. It's because we're literally not in that rest and digest those deeper brain states. That's going to actually introduce healing. And so learning that this is what my body was doing, my brain, and I could see it on EEG, was great at making beta brain space. It was just really bad at making all the other ones. <laughs> and so as I started retraining this and started meditating and doing all these different mindfulness exercises and understanding the reason why and how my brain shows up better as a result, made it so I like really understood what was going on. And so I could actually keep doing it. Once I understand something, then I can put in the practice of just continuously doing it and just showing up completely different as a result. So when you talk about, obviously, the blue light triggers coming at you all the time, um, cortisol dumping came into mind when you kept saying that, because that's also where um, a lot of people have found infl inflammation popping up chemically when they do other tests that I have no idea what the name is. Um, that was one of the biggest things that I really had to sit and digest was that and the fight or flight coming in all the time and not from the brain perspective, but from the muscle in your body that runs from the top to the bottom, it literally connects them. And it's where a lot of people have like sciatica or just even hip pains and they'll go and get massages or 
you know, they'll go get steroid shots, all of these things, and they still just have this tinging tight pain. I just heard a relative talk to me about it last week, and my mind just started racing, probably like yours does now, when people talk about any ailment in their body, because you've investigated yours so much that you're like, okay, well, that part of the body, you know, has to be like a, a stored trauma from, you know, whatever, like, because they're just like, it's always on. And they could be like the calmest person in the world, but they're like, yeah, it's just always on. It just, it never goes away. So then I just start asking, like, do you ever sit down? Like, what stretches do you do? And they do. So instead of like a yin practice with breath work and really feeling into the body, they're only taught like an aesthetic stretch. They don't know how to breathe along with it. They're just like, oh, I saw that if you stretch your body this way, then your fight or flight or whatever will calm down. And I'm like, we're still not teaching people about feeling into their body and what that feels like. Because again, just like meditation, I felt really awkward the first time someone told me to feel into my body. It's where you realize how disconnected you are from it. But then when you have to feel into it, it's again, just as awkward as mirror work too. You're like, I am so ignorant of this thing that I am in all the time. Like, how do I even breathe? Oh, I just found out I don't even breathe right thanks to this breath work class. So the reason I'm saying most of my questions as a story for you is so you can pop up times in your journey where you're like, oh God, I remember that. Because once you get so far past, right, you have all this knowledge and you really do have this tool bag, you feel really confident in your journey. No matter what comes up, you're like, I can read this book, I can implement this, I can do 21 times to form a habit, whatever I need to do on and on. But when you're going back to the beginner and remembering almost the insecurities or even like the hopefulness of, I really hope this works and this helps me. And not from a take a pill, but doing all the work moving forward. When you talk about the brainwaves of beta always kicking on and I go into cortisol, do you ever retrospect back to those days where you realize and can't believe like how long you lived in such that high survival mind state? Absolutely. It's uh, completely blew me away how not only me, but everybody around me is just so ignorant to this, this thing that's happening. And it doesn't, you don't have to, you don't have to show up that way. And it's, it's amazing that you brought up cortisol and, uh, and norepinephrine or adrenaline, which are released in beta brain space. Like we get, we need it. Like we need it for our muscles. We need it to be able to fight off the, the enemy. And it completely is meant for us to be inflamed. It's meant for us to essentially completely be on the defense. And so when I realized this is how I was living the majority of my life and especially being in an abusive marriage where it was both emotional and physically abusive, wanting to just avoid going home. So I would just like stay at work as long as possible because it felt safer there. And just the chaos of being in that mindset all the time. And then of course my body like just went crazy because it was like, I never have a chance to rest. I never have a chance to go into the deeper brain states. I never have a chance to get, you know, the miracle chemicals, the oxytocin, the endorphins, the dopamine, all of the stuff that is actually going to help us 
become a healthier, better self because I was just getting that constant drip of cortisone and adrenaline and just being in this beta brain uh, space. And it's, it's so tiring. Like all your energy is being refocused to fight off this invisible invader that doesn't exist. And we're wonder why, like nothing feels right. Nothing feels good. We're like on edge, all of this stuff. And it's, it's, it's really interesting how, if you actually look at it, kind of what you were alluding to earlier, which is when you're, you know, at work and you can't leave it at the door, then what do we do? Well, we acknowledge it. And when we just acknowledge this emotion and say, you know, I see that you're angry. I see that maybe you're resentful. I acknowledge you. I respect you. And I understand that you're trying to keep me safe. I don't have the time to deal with you quite yet. So we're going to look at this at 630 tonight. And just doing a one little simple thing completely transforms the energy. All of a sudden, you acknowledged it. You said thank you. You had gratitude for it. You understood that it actually is trying to keep you safe and teach you a lesson. And a lot of the times by 630, your subconscious already processed it. Because you acknowledged it, you really don't have to do much. Now, sometimes it's much more than that. And you do have to do more work there. But the fact that you acknowledge it made you be able to move past, step into work and enjoy your day instead of just this loop that our brain gets in as a result of just being in beta brain space all the time. It's uh, it's really fascinating to look back and understand that by me avoiding the obstacle altogether was keeping me in the space. And if I just face the obstacle, I look at it and I say, Hey, I acknowledge you. I see you. I understand that you're trying to teach me something. Let's look at this later. Then it's like, oh, okay. Sounds good. That's all I needed. <laughs> right. That was a great, great explanation. Sometimes I get tongue-tied when I listen to you because I'm just like, keep going. This is such good information. I'm learning so much from you and remembering stuff that I need to re-research. So that's really nice, too. Isn't it one of the great things about these podcasts is you just get like all these incredible guests that you can learn from. That's, that's one of my favorites anyway. Yeah. I mean, and there's always such a level of compatibility, right? Where like you love people coming on and like teaching and bringing their stories on. Cause again, like I learned from everybody that I interviewed, but then there are just some where you're like, yes, yes. The, oh God. Yes. He's going to talk about that. This is so exciting. You know, and I have to tell myself to just shut up and not interject um, as much as possible because I'm like, okay, I have, oh, I have a comparative sentence there. Oh, I have something I want to say here, but it's just so good hearing you connect all of the dots. Um, we have so many similarities in like the research and the way that we found a lot of stuff out on our journey. And like, I'm four years old on my awakening awareness journey. So I always tell people whether I'm socially awkward or just like, I don't even understand simple things sometimes. I'm like, I'm four years old. I'm reprogramming and relearning everything as much as I possibly can while still pretending to have my shit figured out for my three-year-old and my husband. But even they're on board with like, mommy's reprogramming herself, okay? So we're gonna have to be a little patient with her sometimes because she just started reading like Tao Te Ching. So she's walking a little slower today, which is on the list. I haven't started it yet, but there's so many, so many like books I even want to read where I'm like, well, I can't start that right now because that's gonna put me in a trance, you know? 
That <laughs> happened to me last week. I had four days to finish a translation of the Bhagavad Gita. And I was like, I have to get this book done because I have to give it back to get this other book. And I had 40 pages left and my kid and my husband were with me and they were doing their own thing. But you can't read that with people around. It, it's very meditative mm -hmm. and poetic. So I said, I love you guys very much and I want to be in your presence. So my body's going to be here, but my mind is going to put piano music on and I'm going to finish this transcript. And after those 40 pages, I was like, it was kind of like a shrooms trip. I was like, I get it. I get it. Thank you. Thank you for the message. And then like I walked on water the rest of my day. It was just so smooth. And again, just so <laughs> trans like I love the more that I research and connect those dots that it just almost makes me more of a peaceful person. Not that I'm ever going to know like everything. I think that would be a weird goal to have in one incarnation. But every book that I pick up and add it to the explanations of somebody else's interpretation more and more. And then I get to meet people like you and bring it on our platform and talk about it. It goes all the way back to vibration and how happy all of the whole process makes me feel just like what you said earlier. Like if you're getting to the end result, you're probably going to be like really annoyed with the process getting there. But from the moment I get the book to finding the guest, to finding the compatible guest, to have that conversation where it comes off free flow like this delights me. Like this energy is just going to put me on board for the rest of the day. <laughs> I love it and totally understand, totally relatable. Mm -hmm. Especially because we're about to talk about Dolores Cannon and QHHT. So you, I think I've asked you this before, but you've had one hypnosis experience or a series of hypnosis experiences. So two, I've been two. Uh, hypnotized uh, twice by a QHHT practitioner. Nice. <laughs> I've had one two-hour session of actually being hypnotized, and then I did a group session, and that was trippy as well. But I want you to tell your QHHT story. <laughs> so this came at a time when I had literally just kind of opened back up to the magic of life. And it was because, you know, I was atheist for a while because I was so Christian and that's how I was raised and that brainwashing and craziness and uh, everything that happened there. I went to this very data set mindset of like, I need proof. If you don't have proof, you're full of shit, right? Super <laughs> and left-brained. What's that? Super left-brained. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was beautiful. It was it was there for a reason. I learned a lot. I, I formed some opinions. And then I got into quantum physics. And quantum physics basically says we don't know anything. I mean, <laughs> there's just so much there. And it's so beautiful and magical. And, and really suggests that the observer creates the reality that they experience that it doesn't matter. Even if you're at the same event with somebody connecting, like even on this podcast, we're both on this podcast right now, we're both talking, but my experience is very individualized compared to your experience and what we take, what we learn, all of it. So reality is being created by us all the time and for us. And it has nothing to do with the elements and how we thought the elements work because in quantum, they don't work that way. And so I was like, wow, this is incredible guys. Like this totally makes sense all of a sudden. Like 
I, I get it, you know? And, um, as a result of that magic started opening up into my life uh, again and started understanding these deeper concepts and on my health journey, my friend who is a, a level two QHHT practitioner, uh, I actually studied with Dolores Cannon's daughter, which I thought was super cool over, over in Hawaii, I believe. And, and it was incredible. She was like, do you want to do a session with me? And at first I was like, um, I don't know, maybe, you know, <laughs> and like, what does this entail? And I ended up doing a session with her and it was absolutely beautiful and crazy and like the most intense psychedelic experience I ever had, but I was sober and it was just incredible tapping into my subconscious and getting these very specific messages from my higher self and not even knowing or understanding at that time that it's exactly what I needed to hear, that it's exactly what I needed to do. And I mean, we, we explored different lifetimes. We explored, you know, different, um, all kinds of different experiences. Uh, the, the first time was mostly other lifetimes. The second one, it was exploring other planets and, and some other interesting adventures, but it was this really fascinating uh, way of connecting with my higher self. And, and I would say probably the most impactful message that came through for me is at one point I was, she told me to go to this, this beautiful place that was peaceful that I enjoyed. And I was sitting on top of this huge cliff, like 5,000 foot tall cliff that was overlooking this ocean. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And I saw this path going down the edge of this cliff. And if you look at the whole thing where it went all the way down to this castle, it looked impassable. It looked like there's no way anybody would ever try that because that looks like instant death. And, and so that was the very first thing I saw going into my, uh, my journey, my QHHT journey. Then we, you know, went all over the place and explored. And then she asked myself at the end, what does this mean? What, what is um, Cody's higher self trying to tell him? And it said that the path you're on looks treacherous. It looks hard. It looks like at sometimes you can't do it. But if you just focus on one step, just focus on that next step, then it's easier than you ever thought it would be. And before you know it, you're down there at the castle. Focus on one step at a time. And I thought that was just, it's, it's exactly what I needed to hear at that point. Because like you, I hear this information. I start connecting the dots. I get excited. I'm, you know, reading like five books at a time and they're all like, somehow coincide and you like build bigger neural networks because they're like built in on top of each other. And, and it's like, Oh man, I want to implement all of this. And it gets so excited, but then I can get overwhelmed and then I don't know where to start and you know, all this stuff. And I have to simplify down. I have to like, okay, what's my next step? Anything else doesn't matter. I just need to know what next step is it that I have to take. And, and then you take another step and another step and that 1% better daily. Next thing you know, you went down that whole cliff and you're, you know, at that next level. I really um, believe journaling is superpower through all of the stuff that you just talked about too. 
because there's been so many times like you, I'm like, I'm, I'm so excited for the integration. Like, how must I utilize this stuff in my everyday life and give me more superpowers? Yeah. You know, you have those moments in your head. Um, but I journal through all of the, whether it's the imposter syndrome or the, oh no, I've taken on too much. Oh, my chemicals are a little low today. I'm not as happy as I want to be. And now I'm being hard on myself because I'm not as happy as I told myself to be when I woke up, you know? Like, you can go with the flow when it's nice. But when you, when it's not nice, you're like, oh, I still have to go with the flow on this. But when I look back at a lot of my journal entries, especially the ones where, you know, today is supposed to be a good day, but something else happened and it's not as good as I intended it to be. Um, I'll look back on those really as like my growth moments because there's such a hunger that I have for this vitality and this understanding and even this union of, I mean, multiple parts of myself, but like spiritual union, the mind, body, and soul aspect and just wanting to be a good student and learning myself. Um, I can drive myself absolutely bonkers that I can see something in my meditation. I know it's mine. I know it's going to happen. I don't know exactly how to get there like you. I see the castle, but I'm like, that looks like sudden death. That is an absolute drop off in the cliff. How is that even possible? So that, that advice, I mean, is very fitting for many situations, taking it one step at a time, that um, I have post-its everywhere. Like to the point where I'll have to get like pieces of paper and then like tape them on the pieces of paper. And I did it at one of my last desk jobs because I worked at a radio station for a while and I was divinely guided to go the way I got the job, everything. Like I could, you can just see the synchronicities line up for you. You know what I mean? Um, and I remember I was listening to podcasts and I would like write down stuff that people would say that was just. I mean, really getting my heart going and, hey, here's how to retrain your brain. Here's what I did, da, 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 da. And there's this one that really stuck out to me. And I had it in my car forever and now I have it in my cabinet. So if I or my husband reach for a coffee cup or whatever cup, we like read it and we automatically read it like right when we wake up doing. And it's mainly for him, but I tell it's for us. <laughs> so I'm not telling him what to do. Um, but it says, I am asserting the mastery of my real self or I am asserting the mastery of my authentic self. And I wish I knew who said it and it's study and just go Google it and find out who did it. But he basically said, if you tell yourself this multiple times a day for about 30 days, right? Neuroplasticity built up. Um, what you're going to do is if you don't have the awareness between the separation of your authentic self and your ego, that is what's going to start to happen to you over the next 30 days. You're going to one, realize that you are not your thoughts and you are going to be able to separate what is actually your authentic self and what is your ego coming in to play whatever role it's playing for you. So I had already like super been into authentic and like e ego death stuff from the beginning just because I wanted to know, is this, like, is this a temporary thing that happens? There's people that have taken acid that have, you know, ego death is even a huge thing in, like, the Grateful Dead culture, right? They're like, I had an ego death, and now I just follow this band around for life. <laughs> you know, like, and that was, like, the first thing I ever heard. I was like, oh, cool. If I lose my materialism, I get to live in a van. What a goal. Um, but going further down and I found like a Buddhist context and it was talking about purifying your disposition, 
which like you said, the shadow work and the shadow self and all of these things that you've pushed away and um, deemed unlovable, you have to go back to those things and really kind of do that mirror work that we were talking about. But when I was doing the separation, um, and I think you mentioned something about going in your brain or um, like the roommate analogy that you made, like if this was a roommate talking to you, wouldn't you tell him to shut up? So I'm a big music person and I have spent a lot of my younger 20s in green rooms behind like the bands where everybody wants to be, but nobody gets to go. I got to spend some time in those in my early 20s that I was very appreciative of. So I built one in my mind for any little personality in me. You know, I tried to, I kind of treated my head like that cute little movie Inside Out where all of her emotions were different characters. So my ego, I dressed up like a rock star because she would come in fierce and be like overly sarcastic and kind of like dark empathy where she would like know things about you and kind of use them against you and joke if you broke spades first. You know, like I'm no punk bitch. So I'm going through life kind of over-masculated because of hiding that feminine aspect of myself. And I realized a major, major part of me really is this ego that I don't really identify with, but I have no clue who the F I am. So when I started doing the, uh, I am asserting the mastery of my real self, like truly embodying it, I would recognize one that my ego was here and I would have to ask her like, hey, what are you doing here? Because I had the intention when I walked in this room to act this way. I was excited to be here. And now I'm kind of riddled with anxiety and I'm scared. Someone's going to ask me a question I don't know how to answer. Like normal human interaction shit. Um, but she would just pop up immediately. And I felt so strong knowing like when she popped up and like why she popped up. Like I could even identify the feeling of when she was there. So I just pictured like this hallway and I would be like, Thank you so much for showing up for me and protecting me. Like, I love you so much, but hey, like you've been working so hard. What I would like you to do is just walk to the green room with me and I want you to take a break. So I wasn't like being mean to the fact that like I have these shadow traits about myself that like I'm not super happy that I can be the biggest B word in the world either. But apparently it's here for a protective nature. I have to figure out why I'm protecting myself from. So I'll walk her back, I'll give her a nice speech, give her whatever snack she needs. And I, I mean, literally, it's like a little script in my head where I'm like, thank you, ego, so, so much for coming in and showing me why I think I need to act this way and coming in and protecting me. My authentic self is strong enough now. I'm actually going to go out there and stand on my own two feet for this. But you hang out in the green room and we'll be back. And the direct experience awareness was one of the most uncomfortable experiences I had because I was having such great revelations in my meditations and in my journaling and even the way that I would feel. And then I would go back to kind of the same people in my life, whether it was family or friends. And I'm like, I don't think they're going to be able to see the magnitude of change in my inner world as much as I want to tell them. In the beginning, I really felt like someone who quit smoking cigarettes and went up to everybody else that was smoking cigarettes. And I'm like, dude, you got to quit, okay? I can breathe. Do you want to breathe? Do you want to live? Look at all this stuff. Um, I love rambling to you. But 
through all of the things that I've said, did you have like your ego separation moments where you had finally got into the study of like left brain being masculine, right brain being feminine, but then literally the contralateral switch of it and like Chinese meridian mapping where now this is the feminine and this is the masculine and you could even go in and do emotional body mapping to find where things are stored or like why you're overly logical and you won't let the feminine in? <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's um, something that's actually kind of a newer development for me. Mm-hmm. And and it's been fascinating because I've done a lot of work on different parts of myself. Um, even kind of like you, I will visualize who I most want to be. And this just came with this idea that I had where I'm like, life is just like a video game. And I literally can create whatever character that I want to play is the character that I'm currently playing the character that I most want. And when I started looking at my life this way, it was like, I'm going to step into my best self, no matter what I'm doing. You know, if I'm going and massaging and they have a pain that I've never worked on before, do I know what I'm doing? I mean, to an extent, yes, you know, but maybe not exactly with your certain issue, but you know what? I'm stepping into this fully. I have no idea how we're going to help relieve that pain, but we're going to, and I believe it. And you step into it and you play this character. And next thing you know, they're walking away and like, can I give you a hug? I feel so much better now. And you're like, this is, this is amazing, but it's so incredibly hard to understand our traumas, understand our blocks and marry the two sides of ourselves. And for me, it it did start with QHHT, but it was actually last year when I did a mushroom journey with some friends of mine that were their coaches, their um, psychedelic integration coaches. And for me, it was actually this really weird, like the divine energy, the divine like um, scheduling. And it happened on like, these crossroads that were all merging at the same time. And, you know, the time I'm going to, to work part-time, I'm going to school part-time, I'm um, doing clinic, which means I'm also massaging. I'm literally going from 4.30 a.m. until 9 o'clock at night, Monday through Friday, and only have weekends if it doesn't coincide on the weekend or if I have to work that weekend, then there's really not a good chance I can do anything. Well, it was in the middle of the week on a Wednesday – And somehow, like, we picked this date. I said, okay, universe, I'm going to figure out how to make that day work. And then, like, a few days later, we didn't have school that day. I'm like, whoa, maybe maybe I can make this work. And then next thing I know, my massages, uh, like, that that family couldn't come in. So my massages were canceled for the day. And I had the option whether or not I wanted to, to work. And I'm like, literally I just went from like not having any time to like that whole day opening up and I don't have to do anything except be to school the next evening. So I can have this journey. I can do some work. I can rest. And then I can show up at school five o'clock the next day. So I was like, okay, like, yes, universe. I I hear you loud and clear. Let's see what's uh, what I need to explore here. And so I went into it and I had this intention of removing this blockage. I didn't know what this blockage was. I just knew that there was something within my root chakra with my like my sacral chakra that was preventing me from um moving forward like i knew i could stepping into my full power and this was this just last year that this happened and 
So we went into it with this energy of uh, removing this blockage. And after going to this energy and talking about my past, talking about my childhood and understanding some deeper concepts, what I had found for myself is I had buried my own masculinity and it was because of, uh, you know, when I was five years old, I found out that my dad wanted to abort me and it was this thing that I didn't really fully understand. Even at that age, it was just when I asked the Sunday school teacher what an abortion was, she's like, Oh, that's when your parents don't want you and they want to kill you. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, that sucks. <laughs> and so quite the definition to still give a kid though. Right. Oh, absolutely. And, and so this is the programming that was like going on my entire life. And he was very abrupt. He would have explosive anger sometimes out of the blue. And so my little childlike mind was like, if that's what being a man is, if that's what being masculine is, I don't want any of that. It looks terrible. You just like hurt people. I don't want to hurt people. That sounds not like who I am. So I buried this part of myself and there was times in my past, mainly when I was driving that it would come out in this explosive way that like frightened me that like scared even me of just like, wow, where did this come from? I don't like this. So I completely buried it. I was just like, Nope, we're not going to look at that part of myself at all. And there's a part of myself that I'm really grateful. I did that. I have a lot of compassion. I have a lot of empathy. I was raised in this beautiful way. I, I can listen and understand things on a different level because of it. It all comes very natural to me. What doesn't is saying no to people. What doesn't is being a people pleaser, you know, like all of this stuff that has held me back. And even like, especially with business and making business decisions and being, being able to say, you know, based on your values and knowing that you're disappointing people intentionally, which by the way, is the best way to disappoint people in my opinion, but um, is to understand when it's okay to let that masculine side be masculine for you and really the integration of the two. And for me, it's been the opposite. I think of, of a lot of different men that I've talked to and that work on this type of stuff is they need to kind of turn down that masculine and embrace the feminine within themselves. For me, I automatically want to go to the feminine feminine and have that compassion, that understanding, all of that. And the masculine part of me was really hard to develop and I'm still in the process of it. It's not something like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm good now. You know, um, it's, it's definitely, exactly. But finding out that this is what I had buried and this is the main thing that was holding me back was such an incredible shift and, and stuff like, you know, owning your past, understanding your, uh, part in the, the role you played in whatever circumstance happened to you, no matter what the circumstance is, like, how do I look at this from taking ownership? And I'm not saying that if something horrible happened to you, that you were responsible for that in any way. What I am saying is that you continuously playing that victim of your own story and not talking about it and not empowering yourself because of it is continuing to play that role in that story. And I don't know about you, although I'm starting to get a feel that you're probably along the same age where you're done playing the victim of your own life. Right. And that's really what this came down to is like, when I looked at my past, when I understand everything that I've done, everything I've been through, I created and taking that 
responsibility, that radical responsibility and acceptance of it and saying like, look, it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. Like it doesn't matter where your past is. Like, what are you building? Where are you going? How did this empower you to get there? How can you help people understand what's possible to overcome? And that is the most powerful story we can have. You know, when people like first meet me, it's this really interesting thing because like, for me, there was this time where it was shameful for me to admit that I have a felony. Like I am a felon and I went to prison for six months for possession of marijuana of, of all things. Right. Like of crazy. You Why know. is it even on your record is the question <laughs> that I have. Like let's wipe all that weird shit off everyone's record. <laughs> right. But playing playing my part in everything that happened and really everything that did happen, even being grateful for the lessons I learned as a result of that completely makes me who I am. And I'm, I'm very proud of the moments that I was able to learn the greatest lessons of my life, to be able to move on, to empower myself, to build myself up and not have to have it this big shameful thing that we're never going to talk about anymore because it's like a fail failure. Yeah a failure that uh, is blocking us and holding us back, you know? It isn't, like, and I'm just guessing here, so if I'm completely wrong, I'm okay with that. But isn't that the type of family that you were raised into or we don't talk about things like that? Like, yes, it happened, and whether you got reprimanded or judged or looked at it or not, it's not, it's not something talked about or even addressed. Like, we kind of just slide it under the rug and move along with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, the the family and the circumstance, it wasn't this open-minded family. It wasn't that um, we would talk about our failures and learn the lessons or anything like that. It was like, let's, let's hide that. Let's not talk about that. Let's just just forget that ever happened and, and kind of like ignore the elephant in the room type of thing. And I think that's where a lot of our traumas stem from is like, you know, I'm not seeing myself because the environment I was in, nobody wanted to see that part of myself. So all of us, including myself, just shoved that part of myself away. And we're just like, let's not look there. Let's not talk about that. Let's not, you know, do any work there. And it's such a disservice because all that part of ourselves is saying is like, I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want to be included. And when we understand that, then we can completely transform the energy that we have around that. I had the same mind shift like you where I got into the masculine feminine study on definitely like Chinese meridian lines is the first one where I saw it on a graph. Do you know what BioWell is? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. we actually study the meridians in, uh, in massage therapy and we actually do the touch points and then like EFT tapping and different stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. Great. Cause some people are like, no, what's that? Which is even more exciting. Cause then you get to be like, you have to go try this. Um, <laughs> I wish again, I knew the doctor's name. So Google bio. Well, if you want to know what it is, this was the first time that I saw my chakras printed out on a piece of paper in front of me which this is almost like, it's the feeling when sci-fi becomes real to you. That's how it felt for me. I wanted some just scientific proof of all of this stuff throwing, flowing through my body that I had no idea how to control. So on top of that, it was, I mean, like a printout like this big and it had each line and it would tell you any blockages, percentages, what this actually means in the body. 
And when I got into the yin and yang aspect of it, before I even got into brain mapping, I was like, this is revolutionary for me because this ties in the emotional blockages that I know that I'm struggling struggling with and having problems. And I love the balance, like the true balance of the masculine and feminine, both of you, and even the balance in your hemispheres. So they work in unison, just like the heart and brain working together with breath work. All of it is phenomenal. Everything I research is about some form of union coming back into myself. So it was really next level for me to have that understanding. One day I'm in a meditation, you know, all the things that I was reading about came down in breadcrumbs and were coming together. Um, it was like my guides were trying to explain it to me. They're like, we're going to dumb it down for her because she's human. Okay. <laughs> Thanks guys. And um, I had like a really big cry sesh, which I don't like doing in my meditations. It's actually on my goal to be okay with like crying in these settings. But like in my private meditation, I'm fine with it. In group meditations, I'm going to need to use the restroom really quick. <laughs> but I was sitting there and like you with the masculine perspective, my feminine perspective was completely... Um, like broken and suppressed and like hidden. Like I just kept seeing like a very over-masculated version of myself. It kept pulling up like a cover and it was showing me like naked, extremely feminine and hiding. And then when I would like look and ask the masculine part of myself in a meditation, like, what is that? He would pull the sheet down really quick and he would like tell me, like you're, you've been protecting her for a long time. So then I would have to, it's kind of like inner child meditation. Like I would have to ask like, how far back does this go? Where did it come from? Is this something that I learned for somebody? Can you show me the event where it happened where like I actually went away and some, something like decided to pretend to be a girl kind of the whole time? Because I had always like grown up being like one of the boys, raised with brothers, all of that stuff. And that stuff comes into a point, but in like feminine reprogramming and understanding, you know, why you had to protect yourself, why you don't feel you can live the fullest expression of being a feminine, like why you don't feel safe enough to feel like a girl. All of those questions, even relationships with other women, you know, because the biggest one is like, I'm, I'm more of a guys chick girls are dramatic but really like I had to even confront the issue of like why do women annoy me so much like why do I not do women's group or anything like that because um, it's it's usually a group of dude chicks that I get along with it's not the Stedford wife who you know I'm not judging you by any means but I'm like what are we gonna get out of this you know so like you I really had to go back into a lot of that and I still, to this day, like you, it's one of my main things that I go back and recenter and focus on because I am so automatically trained to go to the left for that stuff. And I, and it's not like, um, out of logic, it's out of like protection. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you want with her? Hmm. You know, and I still do it. <laughs> I still do it automatically. And in my meditations, I still have to go back a lot. Um, especially in my journaling too, it's the same way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, it's, it's a never ending process. I think there's always layers there. Like 
whenever we, whenever I think I have arrived somewhere, oh, I got this, I broke through this, you know, then uh, reality comes in and slaps my ego and it's like, oh, really? Well, let's give so you this hard. situation. <laughs> I really do. I feel it so hard. So what type of guests do you have on your podcast? So on my podcast, it's, I mean, we have a little bit of everything, but it's really, um, you know, we have doctors, we have neuroscientists, we have uh, coaches, we have other podcasters, but anybody that is kind of along the health and wellness mindset and helping other people get the tools to understand the mindset of how anybody got to where, where they are. You know, it doesn't matter what we've done. And once we realize the mindset is going to be the greatest tool that we have to get us there was action plus mindset equals desired results. And this came from, you know, principles, Ray Dalio, the most successful hedge fund manager in, in U.S. history. And I'm like, wow, if it's coming from a guy like that and, and some of the other people that I listen to then it's truly this way of, of manifesting the future we most want. Like to become a podcaster, you didn't like just one day wake up and be like, Oh, that'd be kind of cool. Let's just try that. It's, you had to see yourself as a podcaster. You were probably listening to podcasts. You had to start researching. You had to start literally uh, identifying the belief of, I could do that. I could be a podcaster. And then you start taking the steps to make it happen. And when we understand that the mindset had to change first for any circumstance to change of anything we've created in our life, then we really understand the power of our mind and anything that's blocking us, anything of what we're not achieving is our mindset blocking us. And so we really explore how that works, why that is how it is, and how to adopt the surroundings, the people, everything to live a life of passion and purpose and, and become your best self. Great answer. Couldn't, couldn't have thought of a better podcast explanation besides that. Okay, so I have a few more questions before we get off here. And I hope they didn't just float away as I was just going, uh-huh, yeah, exactly, that's great. Oh, my gosh. If they floated away, I'm going to be so upset. They're gone. Dang it. Okay. That's always upsetting when that happens. I really wanted to know that answer. Hmm. Okay. Well, maybe I'll just message you later. Oh, no, I got it. Okay. We might have said this earlier, but for anybody that is starting the beginning phases. We said like a beginner book and then one that might be too far off for a beginner. Do you have um, books that when people are like, hey, I'm going through this adjustment in my life, um, do you have any recommendations of meditation, breath work books? Like, do you have ones that you usually go out and recommend tenfold? So, uh, the, the, so the Untethered Soul... And then the other two that actually go along with that, The Surrender Experiment and Living Untethered, all by Michael Singer. It's an amazing series and really gives easy, actionable tools that everybody can apply immediately. Um, the Wim Hof Method is a great one for breath work. Oh and then yes. we yeah, his, his breath work, I do it every day. And it has 
completely transformed how I show up and the peace you get when doing that breath work is, I, I can't is recommend that. Is that the cold in. showers came in? Cause I meant to ask you that when you said I start every day with a cold shower. Yes. So, um, reading about Wim Hof and understanding the health benefits, that's where I started cold showers and then doing ice baths. I've done a few cold plunges, um, even won, won some prizes for <laughs> doing some, really? some different cold plunges. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Um, I'm still not there, but my producer talks me into it all the time. He's like, just work. He's like, work your water down from hot to cool to cold. He's like, then one day he's like, you will only want to get in the shower and you will look forward to that cold shower. And I was like, I don't know, man. Like I get the science behind it. I'm just stuck on the com the comfort of hot water. It really is yeah. just like a comfort thing. Cause I understand like your pores are opening up more and you kind of want them to close and freeze and cleanse out the other way. But I mean, I, when I get in the shower, I'm picturing that I'm going in a hot tub and I'm going, huh. Mm -hmm. But then I, there's so many the other thing about like, oh, sorry, showers. No, it's fine. You're just another reminder that I'm like, I really, there is a day this will connect for me. I love it. Well, the other thing that really made it connect for me of why I should do it is the systemic effect that it has and, and really the way it helps clean up our, our junk cells and all of that. When we have a systemic response where our blood is rushing to protect our organs so we don't die, then we actually get a rush of oxygen throughout our body. We get this whole different systemic response. We release different proteins that clean up junk cells and we get this like extra essentially defense because your body's trying to protect itself from dying. And it's one of the ways we activate these longevity genes. And so when I, when I started understanding that it was like, Oh, this isn't even a choice for me. Like, of course I'm going to do this. And, uh, and now like your producer said, it's, it's something I look forward to. It's something that I'm like, wow, this feels so good. And, um, it's, it's an amazing shift, but us as humans, we're not meant to be in a climate controlled environment 24 seven. And so we get so used to it. We, you know, are get a little cold and then we're like, Oh, I'm freezing. And really it's like, you know, 68 degrees in the house instead of 75 or, or whatever, you know, it's I not really so an extreme serious. temperature. And, uh, and so understanding the differences and even things like if you sit in a sauna of 165 degrees or hotter for 20 minutes a day, at least three days a week, then you are 60% less likely to get heart disease. So there's just like little things where you're just like, wow, if I actually just change the extremes of what my body is used to, not only do I get used to different temperatures, but I activate all these like cleanup uh, systems within my body. I could literally listen to you just regurgitate all this information all day long. It's just such a great, healthy reminder of all the things that I'm still trying to implement and add in. But it's also so cool to see someone that does it and is so excited about it being a part of the routine because there is a point for me sometimes where I start a new routine where I'm like, okay, I hope we can keep this one in. You know, I hope this is the one that is going to stay. So there is still that 21 times to form a habit thing that you do through it. But you, you're like, I'm so excited to meditate. And then I have my shower and I get to journal like they're there's just something about being able to take control of your life that way and find excitement in taking care of yourself. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think once we create that excitement and that gratitude and, and really celebrate those little wins, you know, we really need to take time and understand that, you know, maybe you didn't meditate every day this week. Maybe you missed two days, but that means you meditated five days this week. So celebrate every single one of those, like feel the change that you just did because the week before that you meditated one day or whatever it looks like, like celebrate those wins, have gratitude for all of it. And, and next thing you know, you start creating more habits, more stuff you're excited about. You see the difference and you're just like, kind of like you and you're like, I stopped smoking. You should stop smoking too. This is amazing. Right. Mm-hmm. And you just like start having that with everything because you're just seeing the results and you're like, guys, you got to understand this. Like, no, you're not going to understand this. Okay. Who can I talk to that does yes. understand this? You know, who, who can I have this conversation with? Which I've definitely found solace in you, bud. So I appreciate you coming on and talking today. I know we could literally just keep going and going and going, which means you're just going to have to come back and teach an episode on one of your favorite books or topics that you're into at that time. Sounds absolutely amazing. I'd love to. And uh, thanks so much for this uh, conversation. It's been uh, a really fun and uh, just insightful conversation. I love it. And if uh, anybody on here wants to listen to your podcast, where do they find it at? So you can find it, it's, it's Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to uh, your favorite podcast, we're on there. It's Mind Shift with Cody and Richard. Um, of course, I'll send you a link so you can mm-hmm. um, include in the notes or Put whatever. It down below, just scroll down <laughs> if you want to get to it. You're a couple clicks away from Cody. And, uh, and yeah, if you, I'll send you my LinkedIn, you can find my, my, my podcast and read more about who I am there and, and all that good stuff as well. But, uh, yeah, it's mind shift with Cody and Richard is, uh, as our podcast where people can find us at. Perfect. Well, I am definitely going to be adding you to my listener list and I mean it. I'm not, I'm not just being nice cause we had a great conversation and I definitely <laughs> want you to come back and just tell more stories and talk with us about all the things that you're learning. Cause We're definitely on the same path with, dude, look what I just found. And then you have to go show all of your friends. So it's nice that we both have our platforms to do that. Absolutely. And I would love to come back and talk about books or whatever anytime. And I'll definitely be uh, sending you a few recommendations as I, as I come across them. Yeah. I wrote about five books down that you talked about and I'm already behind on my, my reading list as you, I have like five books rotating around. So it's good. We'll just have more to talk about when you come back. (laughs) <laughs> Sounds awesome. Yeah, my, my reading list is ever growing as well. I have a feeling that uh, it's just going to keep growing faster than I ever can read, but that's what makes me excited about it too. I'm the same way. Well, I look forward to you coming back. And before we get out of here, Cody, I hope you can hear this track on your end, but if not, you'll hear it when it comes out. Vitality Exposed is going to bring us a new Neovi track off of an album I didn't even know he was dropping, but he did. He gave us like eight new tracks. So I picked out Breathe from his new album, Dusk Today. Dusk. Did you hear that? Go check it out now. The song's called Breathe. Love you guys. See you on the next episode. This is the Hoosier Media Network, your home for podcasting.